This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your team's time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. If you browse the web like we do, you've probably read an article or watched a video on unlocking your creativity. Well, how does this happen? Is there some type of inherent capacity for creativity? Are we limitless or is there some sort of cap? We've been asking for the answer to this question for quite a while, and we were recently told to speak with David Chislett. David is a creativity activator, and we did exactly that this episode, spoke all about creativity. We hope that through this conversation, you'll be able to take some nuggets and apply to your life. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. What's going on, everybody? You're in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today with us, we have David Chislett. David is a creativity activator, and he helps people and teams discover and understand how they can enhance their creative capacity. I'm excited to jump into this. I like to think of ourselves as creator, me and both Chris. But David, most importantly, welcome to the show. Hey, good evening, gents. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you, David. Creativity is one of our favorite subjects to talk about. And if we could just be 1% more creative from this discussion, it will be all worth it. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. All right, sure. So, yeah, in your intro, Ron, thanks very much. Uh, I call myself a creativity activator. Um, and by that, I mean I help individuals get back in touch with what I believe to be our inherent capacity for creativity. It's, you know, most people, it's been pretty well socialized out of us. So using keynote speeches, workshops, one-to-one -one coaching sessions, I use a whole mixed bag of tricks and tools and tips and theories and, and uh, bits of research to help people break through the barriers that are holding them back from embracing what they used to have in bag loads when they were little kids and get more creative and learn how to actually just get that magic source on tap. So let's go ahead and break that down a bit. I think that we all struggle in one way or another with creativity, whether you're a technician, an, an artist, a musician, there's always something that changes over time. You're talking about almost having more creativity when you were a kid. Walk mm -hmm. us through a bit of your origin story with learning about this encompassing domain called creativity. Yeah, I grew up in the creative industries. I've been writing poetry since I was 10, played in rock and roll bands through my university years and later 
I've published books. Um, I worked as a marketer and publicist working with artists and music industry clients. And I've been blogging and, and podcasting, making documentary films and videos, uh, you know, well, basically just doing one creative thing or other my entire life. And what I realized was that most people had a really weird idea about what creativity is. And in conversations with me, they'd always go like, wow, you're so creative. I'm totally not creative. I'm looking at them going, but hang on a second. You know, you're, <laughs> you're a marketing strategist or, or you're a lawyer. You, know, you kind of solve problems for a living. Of course, you're creative. I'm like, yeah, but I can't paint, can't draw. I'm like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> you know, what's going on here is a, is, is a confusion between a specific physical skill set and the ability to come up with new answers or different answers to, to the old questions. And I think that that's really what inspired me. I suddenly realized that actually, you know, it's not that people aren't creative. It's that they don't understand what it is that they've got. And to a large extent, it's, it's so every day. We're, we're just always prob solving problems. But people completely underestimate what they're doing and just therefore don't really realize how many more areas they could be using it in. And that's what I'm really interested in is helping people to tap into that because it's really extraordinarily self-empowering to be able to just come up with answers and new solutions whenever you want. You mentioned having it in bag loads when you're a kid, and I, I couldn't agree with you more on that in that regard. What is it about our lives that gets us down these paths of being less creative over time? Is it something that has to do with our school system? Is it just the mundane task of being an adult? What is it that diminishes our creative ability over time? Yeah, I mean, if you've ever seen any of the videos by Sir Ken Robinson, I yes. mean, the way we're educated has got a lot to do with it. Standardized testing, black and white, yes, no answers, only a right way and loads of wrong ways. We are schooled from quite early on to reduce our thinking into the safe zone, to give the expected answers, uh, and to basically keep our little noses clean and follow the rules. But before we end up at school, you say a new interesting word to a kid, and they kind of look at you, and then they give it a go. They try and say it. And, you know, they're probably going to mess it up, but they don't care. They just go for it. They have no shame around the attempt. There is no sense of missing a benchmark it's just like hey that's something new i'm gonna give it a go and yeah you know, we basically just get that beaten out of us psychologically through our education process it's a uh, it's actually quite scandalous when you when you consider that everything that we have in this world all the technology that that fuels the, the lifestyle that we have in in the middle class west is the product of creative minds and we just you know we're just basically telling every most people they just don't have it because I don't know they're not an artist therefore you're not creative and those two things are just not the same thing so I think that I'm ready for it to be beat back into me you are a creativity <laughs> activator and a lot of our our audience they work in technology they might work in cybersecurity or some field that's very closely related to technology. How can I, as a technologist and also as a bit of a content creator, really get back to that base of my childhood creativity? What are some of the things or stories that you can share that could help people? All right. The first thing you got to do is let go of judgment. Um, and, and what that means in most contexts is 
your own judgment about your own ideas. You know, you've got to stop telling yourself that that's not a good idea, that that's stupid or that's not good enough or who am I to be doing that? You've just got to let it go and you've got to push through with those ideas. Ideas are not typically born fully formed as shining diamonds in the darkness. Quite often they're a slightly sludgy, turd-like thing that needs to be polished. And um, <laughs> when you judge everything straight away, you kill all potential straight up dead. But if you don't and you allow that idea to float around and you revisit it and you think about it a bit more, it stands a chance of growing into something because creativity is an iterative process. You know, nothing is completely new or 100% original. It all comes from somewhere. And from the graveyard of the ideas that never quite turned into anything productive, will come in the future other more productive things. The trick is not to just kill them and reject them and throw them away by judging them the second after they're born. I think that's always the most important step, number one. And what that also means is you need to stay the hell away from judgmental people. Mm. You know, you know, people in meetings who go, yes, but. I mean, but is the killer. But is the right. idea slayer. You know, and if you're doing it to yourself, stop it. Start saying, and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not yes but yes and that's a great idea and if we added this or we <laughs> tweak that or we change that then you're building then you're growing engaging in a positive process and that's motivating and stimulating and typically it allows more ideas to flow yes but it's just a smack on the chops you know? it's a slap on the wrist let's get back in your corner how dare you come up with these wacky ideas I'm glad you mentioned yes, Dan, because that's the mantra of improv, improv comedy, yeah, improv exactly. acting. And, and I think that's such an incredible way to collaborate with other people. One thing that Ron and I got really lucky in is to be able to have this podcast and flex those creative muscles. We didn't realize how atrophied those muscles were mm-hmm. until we saw the difference between where we were in the beginning and where we are today. And now right. today we're coming up with all kinds of interesting ideas at the macro level and even the micro level, all the way down to the questions we ask our guests on our podcast. But what about the folks that haven't had that practice. Is there something that they can do every day to flex those creativity muscles? Well, they've got to practice. I mean, you know, what you said there is absolutely key. It's you've got to sharpen those skills. You know, earlier on, I said there's a distinction between the creative process itself and the the skills which you use to express that creativity. So by doing a lot of podcasts, by interviewing a lot of people, you're fine tuning those skills. And you're also learning to trust your own process. You can step into it, use your tools, and not have to be overly rationally busy with what's going on so that you stand a better chance of getting into what Mahali Csikszentmihalyi referred to as flow. And you know, if you don't enhance your skills, and whatever skill it might be, right, it doesn't have to be anything as, as sort of art-related as writing or, or hosting a radio show. It can be right down to just, you know, solving everyday problems in a business analysis situation or coding. You know, if you don't have the chops, you're going to struggle to come up with interesting and different answers. Because if you don't have the chops, you don't know how to break the rules because you basically don't really know what the rules are. So, you know, discipline, repetition, routine, practice, all that like seriously boring stuff that everyone thinks is the, the killer of creativity is actually what sets the creative process free. That is funny that you say that because Chris and I just spoke to our leadership coach 
earlier today, and they were describing some of these challenges that certain personality traits on the Myers-Briggs would face when it Mm. comes to creativity. And typically, especially for Chris, structure could hinder creativity. This is at least what we synthesize from working with this coach. How can you look at structure in a more positive light for those that are more free-flowing, that want to be creative, but also bring in the structure? Well, look, there's a lot going on when you start talking about structure. Point number one is that if you're going to look at structure as being a restriction on yourself, sure enough, that's what it's going to be. So you need to switch off your judgment about the whole idea of what structure means. You know, waking up in the morning and going to bed at night is a structure. (laughs) It doesn't have to be this millstone around your neck where you're monitoring every minute and every second. (laughs) Right. You know, think more fuzzy goals than deadly specific high detail goals when you're talking about structure. Structure is committing. It's to... It's the same, I've got a process, it's trusting it, it's identifying when in your day, no matter when that time is, you are in the best position to get into flow, to utilize those skills. So if you're a night owl and that's 10 to 12 p.m., so be it, that's your structure. I, I think too often when people start talking about structure, we start talking about, well, it's got to be between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. and it's got to be like this. It, it doesn't have to be like anything except that. What structure gives you is the space and the time in which to hone your skills, in which to practice, in which to experiment, to fail, to try stuff out, to learn things, and to join the dots in interesting ways. So step number one, you know, because I, I, I'm an old smelly punk rocker, you know, I was as anti-establishment <laughs> as they come. And I've become very structure and routine driven because I've realized how much freedom it gives me because I've created these spaces where I can do whatever the hell I want. And I can't always do whatever the hell I want when I don't have space. So that's what structure does for me. That's a great way to put it. Build the structure to give you the freedom that you really need to be creative. I'd love to hear a story from you or maybe even someone that you know that has gone through this creative process. What is that hero's journey of creating something that is a masterpiece? Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a painting. Maybe it's a TED Talk. Maybe it's a podcast. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. What is one of those stories that really highlights that that hero's journey from the beginning and the inception all the way through the delivery? Whew. I mean, you're right. It is the hero's journey, and it's and it's pretty much the same for absolutely everybody. So I can counterpoint what I experienced as a poet with my creative writing with what a friend of mine who is a surrealist artist told me about his process. And so I'll start with him. His name's Peter von Straten, and he lives in Cape Town in South Africa, and he does these hyper-realistic, deeply disturbing surrealist canvases. It's a real juxtaposition of the whole sort of Dali-esque dream world feeling with very high-detailed, realistic, almost photographic, fine brushwork. 
But what he does is he goes to this iteration of photographing, making studies, painting onto the canvas, and then scraping most of it back off again, then painting something else over it and scraping a bit more. And so he's he's trusting in his process to allow these dreamlike images almost to emerge from the process without too much in the way of conscious direction. But I mean, this is a highly skilled artist who you know, sits in front of a canvas from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. every single day, but he's working on between six and eight pieces at a time. So he works until he's just like going, I'm a bit stuck, this isn't working for me anymore. And he puts canvas number one to the side, and then he goes back to canvas number two, and he picks up where he was yesterday or three hours ago, and he makes another iteration, painting, scraping, reflecting, feeling, and continuing. What that gives you is a world that you can step in and out of. You know, when you, when you do have any kind of a structure, what you're basically doing is you're committing to the process. You're saying, I will show up tomorrow. So nothing ever has to be finished today. So all of that perfectionist stuff that can really get in the way where you just want to keep on fiddling until it's done, you take offline by saying, but I'll come back tomorrow. And then you come back tomorrow. And then you come back the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow. And what Peter does is he just keeps on showing up and he just eventually shuffles the one canvas off the end of the production line and starts the next one and it just rolls. So there's never really a kind of time where he's, I don't know, in between jobs, as it were, with his own work. And him telling me that really influenced me quite a lot with my poetry writing, where I began to realize that so much of what I was doing was interrelated and interconnected, that it didn't have to matter too much if the exact expression wasn't spot on because I was always coming back tomorrow and there's always going to be an opportunity to edit and to think again or to join pieces together. There's just this new documentaries come out right about the Beatles and you see Paul McCartney coming coming up with the riff and the melody line for, for Get Back and, and he tells this famous story about um, coming up with, uh, I think is it yesterday, uh, that it, it was a dream and it just came to him fully formed. When you do a bit more research about that, you see there's a lot of information and a lot of interviews from the other Beatles saying that basically Paul drove them nuts for two years <laughs> while he tried to figure out the exact melody and the lyrics. And again, it's all about turning up and keeping on turning up and trusting your process and holding it in a space, in a well-defined space. And that's, I guess that's the hero's journey. You know, It's, it's about having the the self-belief and the determination to keep on showing up, even possibly when things aren't quite going the way you would like them to. That's often the advice that Chris and I give anyone who's trying to do something in cybersecurity or even break their way into podcasting. The first step is to show up. You always have to be there. Yeah. And and even if you don't feel inspired or creative, you know, it's about showing up. I was just watching a documentary with a gentleman named Rick Rubin who is the co-founder of Def Jam. And he encourages all of his artists, whether they're going through a creative spell or a creative block, to just put pen to paper and write and create. And one of the things that you said is you have to respect the process. I'm a big believer in that, but I have my own processes. Like there is at least a few steps, if not many steps that I will take when 
embarking on a journey, whether it's creative or just a solution-based journey. Describe a bit of your creative process. What are some of the elements that you like to have around you or within you to get you into that state of even wanting to write? Yeah, I mean, it, it, these days I've realized that it is a, it's quite a long-term cycle. And at the moment, I'm in very much in a stage where I don't want to write. I'm, <laughs> every time I sit down, I realize I don't really have anything to say. But what I found the antidote for that is just not to worry about it. In fact, do your best to forget about it and just get on with living life. When I'm living that life, I'm a very keen observer. I, I'm, I'm always watching quite carefully. I tend to remember what people are wearing, and I tend to observe what's going on in the background when stuff's happening, and m noticing the small details about the decor or the types of trees or, or whatever, you know. And I really, really, really focus because, you know, in poetry, it's not always such a thing, but one of the hallmarks of really good writing is fine detail not lots of it but just enough just enough so that you can sketch a real image you know something that people can almost taste or feel you know there's a big difference between saying the big overstuffed couch in the corner and saying the the mid-80s red leather couch just one or two extra details always makes a huge difference so i'm i you know i spend a lot of effort on acquiring details through observation and and then the other part of my process is just to, like you just said, actually, just write. You know, just turn up, write. And I don't really bother too much with thinking if anything's any good or not on a day-by-day -day -day basis. I'd rather just get it out because I know at the beginning of a, of a, of a productive cycle, most of what I'm going to write is probably not great. What does tend to happen in my process is that in between my productive phases, my kind of voice as it were changes so anything i start to write after a period of not writing has a subtle difference in in the style the approach and it takes a little while to kind of i don't know get into that like figure out what the vibe or the rhythm or the feel of it is and so the first couple of weeks even of attempts are generally nowhere they can't they maybe they've got nice ideas but i'm totally not happy with the expression and then just by keeping turning up and keeping pushing at it and trying it and picking away at the edges, suddenly I'll make a breakthrough into a, into a distinct new flow and way of putting words together. I mean, I don't know if you, <laughs> if you look at my body of work, but you could see that from the outside. But to me, it feels very different each time. And so that's, that's always part of it. It's like, take the rest, observe you know, what I now call gather the dots hmm. and then just allow them to emerge in their own order and to find their own order through emergence. It's always good to have a plan and to have a goal, but it's never a good thing to try and force stuff into a particular box. It's always better to allow it to emerge and then later see if it fits in the box or into another box. But having the idea of a box somewhere in your head is is, is what gives you the impetus to get going in the first place. So I always do recommend that as part of your process as well. When people are doing these observations, especially in technology, they tend to think about creativity being this innovation, right? Taking something that exists and improving upon it. But I think there is a bit of a nuance to it between this innovation versus creativity. What would you say that is? Well, you know, I mean, a lot of people 
like to make the distinction that creativity is ideas, and innovation is basically actions. But I think it's more complicated than that. I mean, without creativity, you can't have innovation. But a neuroscientist by the name of David Eagleman released a fascinating book a couple of years ago called The Runaway Species. And in doing that book, he says that basically creativity is either one of three distinct kinds of activities or a combination of two or even three of those activities. And those three activities he calls a bend, a blend, and a break. Now, a bend being when you take something that's been designed for one person, process or purpose and you bend it to something else. A blend is when you take two different things and you combine them together to do something completely different from their original intentions. And a break is when you disassemble a more complex idea and reassemble the parts into a new configuration to, to come up with a, a, new, a new idea. Now, those three things apply brilliantly to art as, as much as they do to technological innovation. So the process underlying it is pretty much the same thing. You know, you're never going to create something 100% entirely new. It's always going to be a new iteration, a new expression of something that's already happened. That's just unfortunately the nature of our reality. So I don't really get too tied up on the difference between creativity and innovation. I'm more interested in what goes on inside your brain when you have the aha moment, which leads you to taking specific steps, which may result in a piece of art, may result in innovation, may result in a new business, or in a radical new interpretation of a, of a data set or an information pile. So I think we're starting to get a little bit of license to be more creative, right? You know, take that step, do something, just, you know, put pen to paper or, or put your ideas out there. But when you look at creativity, how would you define it exactly? What exactly is this creativity <laughs> thing that we keep talking about this episode? Man, I, I'm, I'm not going to be brave enough to say that. People have been arguing about <laughs> the definition of creativity for, for decades. Um, but what I, what I do say to people is like possibly one of the easiest ways to explain what creativity is, is joining the dots, you know, at its most basic level, when you create anything you are, you're taking existing pieces of information or data and you're joining them together in hopefully new and interesting ways, hoping to come up with different answers to, to the, to the existing problems in front of us. You know, if you think about music, you know, in the, in the, in the Western pentatonic scale, there's seven notes, you know, there's seven notes. And yet people have written an almost infinite number of tunes using just those seven notes. It really isn't about what we think it's about all too often. It's a lot more simple, but because it's a lot more simple, <laughs> it's also a lot more complicated. So when you think about the future of creativity and getting, it's almost like the matrix. People are stuck in the simulation and they feel like they're going according to the rules of the matrix and people get pulled out. I feel like when people tap back into that creativity that they haven't touched for so long, maybe it's been since they've been a kid that they've touched anything in creativity. What can we do to inspire people to be more creative, to tap into that childhood inside them? What can we do to wake more people up and have them dream a little more? It's a difficult one, this one, because, you know, some people don't really want to be woken up because like that dude in the matrix who basically betrays everyone to go back into the matrix. There's people who prefer the predictability of 
sticking to the rules and 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 fulfilling you know your role your role on the assembly line however what i do always say to people is that the most amazing part of creativity is that it allows you to generate your own options which means for the first time in your life you will have actual choice i don't believe that when corporations come to you and say drink cool drink a or drink cool drink b you know brand name brand name that's not choice that's somebody else telling you what to do within a predefined set of options what creativity does is allow you to create and define your own set of options and then make real choices based upon your priorities so it's hugely empowering and because creativity is by definition positive you're putting things together to make more it is also seriously good for our mental health and our general state of happiness and you know it's funny when people think about artists there's always the stereotype of the starving struggling you know tortured artist that's not a function of creativity you know artists don't end up like that because they were creative i think they ended up being so creative because they were like that to start with and creativity was the medicine the balm that allowed them to escape that torture and that pain into something that was far better and i think that's quite an inspiring vision and a way of looking at the whole creative process and what it can give everybody whether you be a tortured soul or an ordinary human being just uh, you know going through your life to put bread on the table well i hope this conversation helps everybody listening to this podcast be just a little more creative today and going into the tomorrow. David, thank you so much for everything and being able to hop on the mics with us today. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you have going on in your world, what are the best ways that people can do that? Uh, the best way without a shadow of a doubt is to head on over to my website, davidchislett.com. And uh, while you're there, a window will pop up and encourage you to subscribe to my newsletter. And in my newsletter, I you know, share all sorts of interesting tidbits, events, articles, videos, uh, bits and pieces, all about creativity and the creative process. So you will always see my projects uh, in that newsletter. If you're not really a newsletter kind of person, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just look for the David Chislett who lives in the Netherlands and is a creativity activator, and you'll have found me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Get your creativity activated. David, we'll be sure to drop your website and LinkedIn in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you and all the things that you have going on. And with that, we'll see everyone in the next episode. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.